0: Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: I'm realizing that we are the light together. When a candle gives off light, first of all, if it's sharing its flame with another candle, it takes nothing away from the flame on your own wick, right? the light that you give off, you give off together. Nobody owns the light that's bouncing around the room from a set of candles. So that's the kind of world we need to create as parents, as educators, as people in society.
0: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 298. Today, we're talking about the science of well-being with Dr. Dan Siegel. kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh my goodness, 2021. What a year this is. Amazing another amazing year was 2018 when that October we released the original airing of this conversation with Dr. Dan Siegel. But it is so powerful. It's gotten so many listens and so many references and so great that we just had to air it again this year. And we're going to talk with the amazing Dr. Dan Siegel. He's a mindfulness expert. He developed the field of interpersonal neurobiology. He's the founding co-director of the UCLA. Mindful Awareness Research Center. He has written five amazing parenting books, including Brainstorm, The Whole Brain Child, and No Drama Discipline, and Parenting from the Inside Out, which I love. So good. He has been invited to speak to everyone from Pope John Paul II to His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So I was so thrilled to share this episode with you here, talking about the yes brain, and we're going to talk about some really important things. How mindfulness can help us feel physically healthier and happier. We're going to talk about how parental presence has been shown to be the key to optimizing the chance your child has for a life of well-being and resilience. So. I want you to listen for some important big takeaways from this conversation. You're going to hear five ways awareness slows down the aging process, how to optimize kids' well-being and resilience, and how well-being really all relies on integration in the brain and it moves us away from chaos and towards that well-being which we so want and need for ourselves and our kids, especially after this crazy year we have had. Now, these are all things that we do inside the Mindful Parenting membership, and the membership has grown. It's an incredibly supportive, powerful community where we have 36 hours of live coaching a year. We have skills practice to help you really master communication skills that you probably weren't taught from your parents so that you know how to create effective boundaries without using punishments and threats. All the things we talk about here in this conversation are what we work on mastering in mindful parenting with a lot of understanding and a lot of self-compassion and we start to transform the inner voice, all that good stuff. So if you want in, if you want to take this deeper, you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you've decided you are ready, then get on the waitlist for the next time we open. It's at mindfulparentingcourse.com. You can get on the waitlist and we'll give you some awesome information right away and we'll let you know the next time we open the doors. Then we can like hang out in person you can ask me all your questions in person like a live podcast almost pretty cool right so if you're interested go there mindfulparentingcourse.com. okay now let's dive into this amazing replay I know you're gonna love it Dan Siegel thanks so much for coming back on the mindful mama podcast I'm so glad you're here
1: it's great to be with you great to see you again and great to hear you again
0: Yes, yes. So you are a book writing machine, Dan Siegel. It's amazing. <laughs> this is a monster of a book, this book, your new book, Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence. And you have, did. how does one say that? Dove? You have dived even deeper into the science of meditation in this book in a really big way. So kind of what I'm getting from it, there's a lot of different things here. There's so much here. But what I'm getting a lot in this is that that sense of lack of separation, right? That the mind and body, we tend to think of them as these separate things, but the mind changes the body so much, right? Like the way we work with our minds is actually changing our body a lot. That's Tell me a little bit more about that. Is that what you were thinking? There's so much there. So just tell me a little bit about the mind changing the body.
1: Yeah. So I'd love to know the feeling inside of you when you use the word monster. So monster of a book, what's the internal state that gives rise to that uh, word monster?
0: Did, did I say monster? Oh my monster gosh. Monster of a book. I think it was because I got the book like three days ago and I was like, I'm going to talk to Dan Siegel today. Oh my gosh. There's like all these pages.
1: <laughs> oh, so, <laughs>
0: it's,
1: <laughs> so it's a, It's a big thorough book.
0: It is. It's a big, big, thorough book. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Because I've seen monsters of books that are really like aggressive and you know not very uh, inviting. So I hope this book uh, was inviting for you to experience. Certainly
0: not the Harry Potter monster book. You know, like the the Monster Book of Monsters. Have you seen that in the movies? It like actually no.
1: <laughs> oh no! I just monster book, but oh, there you go. <laughs> well, that's great. So in terms of your question about mind and uh, body and stuff and the interconnection of everything, you know, part of the journey of the book Aware is to let the reader do exactly what you're saying, is to experience directly how there are things that we sometimes think of as separate, but that actually have a fluid connection to each other that we sometimes miss. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, how you can go, let's say, swimming and you swim, let's say, doing the breaststroke. And you're above air getting a gulp of air and then you go underwater. And now you're in the water realm and as you see the fish around you or you see the plants or even notice your arms doing the stroking in front of you, feel yourself in the water, somehow water allows us to sense the deep interconnection between you and your environment, you and the water, and then you realize since I can feel the water, wow, that fish is in the same water. So in a certain way, the practice I introduce in the book Aware called the Wheel of Awareness lets you experience that interconnection that you have in the analogy of swimming when you're underwater, but then when you come up to take a breath and your eyes look around, and you see, let's say, some trees on the shore of the lake, you see some dogs running around, you get the impression that everything is separate.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? So in the air world, the air realm of reality, it's one reality, but in the air realm, we kind of get the feeling, that's why I was asking about the feeling you were having before, that we get the feeling, wow, things are separate. But then in another realm, the water realm, you say, whoa, I'm floating in the same stuff that the fish and plants are floating in. Isn't this amazing how interconnected we all are in the water realm? So that's a part of what the wheel does. At the first step, it it lets you experience directly a feeling, a perceptual shift, which for many people is incredibly liberating. For others, it's really surprising. Mm. And for a parent taking care of a kid, I think it's really healing because we think of our kid as, you know, out there separate and stuff, but when we realize they're part of a larger world and even part of ourselves, we can both differentiate and link. We can realize, yes, we're different, but yes, we're all connected. And that linkage of differentiated parts is something that the book also then explores is the nature of what's called integration. And for parents, it's just incredibly powerful to be able to explore the wheel, because yes, as you're saying, the mind and our relationships that include the mind deeply shape the functions of the body so we get healthier when we create certain states of integration within us and in our relationships with others including with our children.
0: Yeah. So for the listener who's listening saying, "Oh my gosh, integration, the wheel, what's going on here? I don't I don't know where to start." So you talk about in the book how you're thinking about the nature of our awareness of ourselves and our awareness that happens in meditation and you saw your coffee table that was in the shape of a wheel and you realize that, so take the listener through this metaphor of the wheel and how this helps us in meditation.
1: Yeah, the hunter, the thing that's so exciting is there's a really simple idea that when a child learns it, it really empowers them. When a parent learns it, It shifts the fundamental way you parent, and you know, in the aware book, I use an example of Mona, who's a a mother of three kids, who was really having an overwhelming time trying to care for these young ones, and she was really at her wit's end. And the wheel of awareness really shifted that. So you can say, well, what is the wheel of awareness? How did it shift Mona's experience? And here's a way to think about it: the simple idea. Comes from a long line of scientific reasoning and, and building on scientific studies. And from my own experience trained as an attachment researcher, which is basically someone who studies parent child relationships. So one of the areas that I work in is the field of basically, you know, attachment functions. Like how does the relationship you have with your child? shape the development of your child's mind, their brain, their body, their relationships. That's what I study. That's what I'm trained to do. And and for me, you know, I needed to go to all the different fields of science to make sure that my understanding of the developing mind was as comprehensive as possible. So, every parenting book I've written has been based on a field I work in called interpersonal neurobiology. And I'm giving you all this background because For anyone who just might hear the word integration for the first time, they may think I'm kind of making it up out of thin air. And I just want you to know that there are thousands and thousands of scientific studies that have been compiled together, synthesized, the common ground among them brought into what's called a consilient perspective. And so the field I work in, interpersonal neurobiology, draws on all the fields of science to say things like, what is the mind? How does the mind develop? And what is a healthy mind? Mm. And from all of that comes this simple word integration.
0: Mm.
1: That whether you're looking at a relationship between a child and a parent where both individuals are differentiated and then they become linked with compassionate, respectful communication, that would be called an integrated relationship. So integration is simply defined as stuff being different. And then that different stuff, which is called different Differentiation, the differentiation stuff that specialized or unique stuff is then brought together in a linkage. That linkage for a relationship is how we communicate with each other. You can do it in a hostile way, or you can do it in a supportive, loving, caring, connecting, compassionate way. So, an integrated relationship amazingly seems to lead to the growth of integration in the brain. What does that mean? It means this incredible organ in your head has different parts. And they become linked and if you look at every study of well-being integration is what leads to well-being if you look at every study of lack of well-being impaired integration leads to troubles with well-being which comes out as chaos or rigidity basically so that leads to the following simple statement integration is the basis of health
0: okay so for someone who's suffering, who has challenges, has difficulties, anxieties, doesn't doesn't feel a lot of well being, kind of what I'm hearing you say is that the, in their brain, in their mind, there's either a lot of rigidity or chaos. There's not a lot of interconnecting parts, talking to each other, that kind of thing. That that would be the mark of like a healthy integrated brain. Is that If kind you're talking of what about
1: I'm the saying? brain, that's right. Mm, okay. Right. And, and the mind is more than the brain, it's the whole Body and it's more than the body; it's our relationships with each other too. So you could do that beautiful statement you just made about the brain. You could do that with a relationship, like if you see parent-child relationship where you know they're too fused. You know, they're, the parent gets really agitated when a child is you know, falls down and hurts themselves. Well, that lack of differentiation can lead to a lot of chaos or rigidity in that parent-child pair called a dyad or you know if the parent doesn't even care that the child fell down and hurt herself you know there'd be too much differentiation not enough linkage so it's a balance of this differentiation and linkage and interestingly when that balance is not there you get chaos or rigidity so
0: the middle path we're wanting to find the middle path here right that's the healthiest way is the middle path between chaos between rigidity or or between too much caring not enough caring is kind of what you said
1: Yeah. And I don't know if I'd say, yeah, I mean, I know too much caring. I think the gist of that feeling is
0: over-identification
1: with a child or (laughs) too much controlling. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think we can care
0: too (laughs)
1: much. But in the sense, the the gist of that is like, you know, we want to care in a way that honors our own needs. Like I'll meet some parents, for example, who never go to the gym. They don't take time away from their kids. They don't take a break. They don't pursue their own loves and passions and interests. It's all about the kids, all about the kids. I wouldn't call that too much caring. I would call that lack of differentiation. And mm-hmm. that parent is really prone to burning out. And that child with that kind of parenting is prone to not developing fully a resilient mind. So I wouldn't want to call, you know, and I think you might agree with this, mm-hmm. you wouldn't say, oh, that parent is caring too much. It's just that she's, maybe too invested in her identity is too much tied to the achievements of a child. You see this, you know, all the time, a kid on a a soccer team, you know, the kid doesn't do well and the parent goes absolute bonkers, you know, because they're over identifying with the kid. There's no differentiation. You know, they can't say, okay, my kid is not that great at soccer and maybe I'll give them more lessons or maybe they'll play something else or, you know, And you see this and it it erupts as a parent, you know, getting all grumpy and getting rigid or they explode in these chaotic ways. So you can you can feel this on the soccer field. You can feel this in the classroom. You can feel it in the bedroom. You can feel it, you know, in any nature of relationality, you can feel it. And here's the second thing that happened with me is, you know, if integration was health, I said, and you look at every process of change, like parenting helps kids grow and change. Therapy helps people grow and change, hopefully. And uh, education is trying to help kids grow and change. And all of those ways we help people grow and change use consciousness, being aware and the things we're aware of. And so I said to myself, well, integration is health and consciousness is change. What if we integrated consciousness?
0: I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains.
2: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter-Free, It's like having your bestie in your pocket telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non judgmental way. So, join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter free.
1: Uh, well, this is yeah. all like your question like, well, people don't understand integration. And yeah. that's cool. It doesn't take long to learn integration. You know, I, mm-hmm. I teach it with Mary Hartzell and Parenting from the Inside Out and all the books I write with Tina Bryson. Or all about integration, brainstorms about integration. You know, my kids sometimes ask me why, why, or you said, you know, I'm a book machine or whatever. You know, the basic <laughs> thing is there's so many applications of this fundamental idea that people grasp pretty quickly. You know, like I'll tell you a story in a moment of a kid named Billy who was five years old who really grasped the idea of integration that comes from the wheel of awareness, and it changed his life. And um, what, what does it mean? Well, as you mentioned, there's a table here with, that I'm looking at right now that has a glass center and a wooden rim. And I would bring my patients up off the couch or chair. And I said, hey, you know, come on up here. Let's, let's integrate consciousness. And they would, of course, look at me like I was out of my mind and said, <laughs> our work together, we define the mind. They could say that. And so I said, no, 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 I, you know, I may be out of my mind, but not for this reason. Give it a try. Let's differentiate the knowing of consciousness. Like if I say, hello, Hunter. Mm -hmm. Do you know I said hello, Hunter?
0: Sure, yes. Yes, That's
1: called awareness. Uh But then you have this funny thing called the sound of hello, Hunter.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? So right away, we differentiate the Mm. knowing from the known. See that? It's really, really important.
0: So it's like the knowing is the, um, this knowing is like my conscious, that happened, that that kind of thought, like this happened, he said hello. And the known is like the experience of it through my senses, like this hearing, sight, sound, whatever. Is that what you're saying? Yes.
1: Yeah, so one level, it's just like that. On one level, it's, oh, he just said, hello, Hunter. But on another level, that's just another known, that thought he just said. Yeah. Okay. So it isn't really he just said. It's more the direct awareness that I said, hello, Hunter,
0: mm-hmm.
1: has no narrative with it.
0: That's true. There's,
1: there's no words. There's no thought. It's just, let's just call it knowing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, I mean, these words fail us because they're not really great words, but they're the best we've got but let's call it awarenessing just it's not even knowing like a fact so much it's just you you had the awarenessing hello hunter and then there's the hello hunter sound in this case or if i wrote it to you in a little note hello hunter it would be light you know because you'd see it with your eyes the note i would write so what what you do there and it sounds maybe too intellectual or too philosophical or too abstract but actually, if you just take a little teeny bit of time and a teeny bit of effort to recognize this distinction between awarenessing, you know, this knowing, this, which is not a thought, oh, he just said that.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just you're aware.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That's it, right? It's like we have to use the word aware because we're talking to each other, but awareness has no words, right? It's just <laughs> that amazing thing of knowing, awarenessing. And then you have the weird thing called, not that the Hello Hunter is weird, but it's just, it's a known, right? But it could be a whole bunch of things. So around the table, I said to my patients, let's put the awareness in the hub as a visual image that we will distinguish, make different, you know, show that it's special, unique, and discern that, that knowing in the hub. Let's now put on the rim of this table, but no one wanted to call it a table of awareness, we'll call it a wheel of awareness. (laughs) You know, let's put all the knowns. So we're gonna divide the segment up into four segments. And for you and for me, let's name what these four are so that anyone listening, they don't have to say, Oh my God, what did Hunter and Dan say? You'll see the logic of it. Okay. So let's begin. What kind of energy comes to you, Hunter? from outside of the, this body you were born into?
0: Uh, I mean, there's relational energy. There's energy of the universe. There's- What kind of you know, senses
1: do you sound, use? Sound,
0: touch. Okay, so sound that. and mm-hmm.
1: touch and smell and taste mm-hmm. and touch.
0: So the and, five senses.
1: Uh, the five senses, right. So the five senses are ways we pick up energy patterns, literally not some metaphysical thing, but literally a physical thing Sound is just movement of air molecules. Sight mm-hmm. is just light coming at your eyes. So, okay. So you have the five senses there. So that's our first of four segments. Those are gnomes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: energy patterns from outside your body. Okay. Now, let me ask you something. Right now, can you feel your facial muscles? Yes. Okay. So is that outside or inside your body?
0: Yeah, that's definitely inside the inside. body.
1: So now we're going to talk about inside the body energy that comes from muscles and bones and your internal organs, your genitals, your intestines, your lungs, your heart. That's just energy patterns. And I don't mean just like like it makes it less, but those are energy patterns from inside your body. Mm -hmm. And in science, we actually call that the sixth sense, Mm -hmm. your ability to perceive energy patterns from within the body is called either the sixth sense or we also call it intero for interiorception for perception.
0: Oh, so, our first,
1: pers- yeah, intero. I've always
0: wondered because, like, I you know, when I walk people through mindfulness, we talk about the sense of what you're sensing in your body, right? That felt sense in the body. I talk about the felt sense of the body, but I didn't have the word interoception. So, thank interoception, you, very much.
1: interoception, absolutely, yeah. And it's really an important thing you're teaching when you teach that, Hunter, because you know. Lots of studies show that the more capacity you have to distinguish those interoceptive signals and really rest in them and feel them, the more you know your own emotional state, the more you can regulate that state, and the more empathy you have. So it's the basis for social and emotional intelligence. Wow. Yeah. So it's really, interoception is like awesome. Okay, but, but to keep it at the energy level, right? Those are energy flows from inside your body,
0: right? Uh-huh.
1: Now let's move to the third segment of the rim. And the way you move around the rim, by the way, is you have a singular spoke of this wheel. That's the spoke of attention going to these different knowns. So in the wheel practice or even just in a wheel drawing, you can draw where is this spoke of attention going to? Is it on sound right now? Or is it the feeling in your gut right now? Or let's go to the third segment. And the third segment is what else can you be aware of? What do, what do you think? Thoughts. Thoughts exactly. And these are a part of what are generally called mental activities. Yeah. So that might be emotions, images, memories, thoughts of course, beliefs, attitudes, intentions, longings, desires, all that stuff. Right? All right. Let's just use the phrase mental Activity. Now you may say, hey, that's all coming from inside your head. It's your brain in your head. And that's okay. That's probably has a dominant influence on that, but it may be more than that. But for now, you, if you want to say, where's it coming from? Let's just say it's coming from your head. And I don't mean like activity likely gives rise to a lot of our mental activity. It's not a, the brain in the head does not work without the whole body or even the relational world. So we'll just leave it at that for now but that's a place to begin anyway. Okay. Now, if you move the spoke over again to a fourth segment, this one is something you already mentioned Hunter, it's the relational energy you feel, mm. like your sense of connection to your partner or your child or the interconnection you have with nature and the living world around you or the whole planet. So the way I like to remember it and my daughter did the drawings for the aware book and She has a beautiful phrase. She uses, you know, it's your interconnection with people and the planet. Nice Mm. kind of P alliteration. So this connection with people and the planet is a relational sense. Let's just, if we want to make these numbered, let's call that the third segment of mental activities. Let's just name that the seventh sense just for putting a number on it. And then this would be the eighth sense, our relational sense. And you could say, well, where's the energy coming from in relationships? And, you know, we haven't studied that yet. I'm in a study group where we're trying to really study that. But it could be in the betweenness, right? Mm -hmm. That you feel it like I was just doing a three-day solo retreat in the forest. And you could feel your connection with the creek, with the stones, with the animals around you, with the trees, you know. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was so beautiful to feel deeply interconnected. It's, it's, It's not the best word, interconnected, but it's the idea that, I'm connected to the trees, the trees are connected to me. And in a sense, that relationality is something larger than just the individual parts.
0: And I love that. Like you're pointing to the fact that we can sense that in our bodies too. Like, like, cause if we, you know, I mean, isn't it, you know, when we, when we sort of look at our skin, right, there's no place. Like if we zoom up real close where our skin ends and the world begins, like we're always giving and receiving from the environment around us you know, as far as air and molecules and things like that. And that's something that we can really feel that you're kind of talking about. And, and that gives this sense of, that, that sense of interconnection and, and being part of that gives this huge sense of well-being, at least for me.
1: You know, that is so beautiful the way you said it. Because, you know, just like in the swimming analogy, we can be above the water and look around with our eyes and we go, well, everything's separate, everything's separate. Then when go underwater, you realize, whoa, everything's connected, everything's connected. And the research is just like you're describing. When people get a chance to connect to each other and get a chance to connect with nature, they get healthier, right? Mm. So, you so, know, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, no, I was just going to, so for the listeners, so we're talking about, kind of what I'm getting here is where we're talking about that sense of awareness in general, right there in the middle of that wheel. And then on that the outer edge of that, the rim of that wheel, there's our five senses, the way we pick up energy, the way we sense our body, our mental activities, and then our relational energy. And, and all of these things like really help us to get this, this sense of well-being. And, and you're, I kind of what I'm getting from this idea of the wheel and what you talk about this is that it's like the, the awareness of our awareness, right? That, that sense that we have this awareness of this knowing that we, we're feeling these things, that we're having that interoception or we're having that relationship, that that also adds to the sense of well-being.
2: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks.
1: Unsticking It. Absolutely. And, you know, like even now in our connection, I've turned off my video because your sound was not coming through so well. So I think the energy that the fiber optics could contain was too much. And once I turned the video off, now, I'm hearing you more directly. I'll bet if you turn your video off, and though I don't want to stop looking at you.
0: No, no, I think I the might The sound
1: too. might even be better. Yeah. <laughs> so so let's, let's see if it improves it. But this is where we're, we're aware of awareness in the sense that we're aware of what's in the contents of awareness, and your audio was, for me, broken up. I pressed stop video, and then you're really clear as a bell. <laughs> so, do you notice an improvement in the sound coming to you now that you've shut off the video?
0: Let's. I mean, you know uh, I'm just. I'm kind of crossing my fingers. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> we'll see how. Okay. Goes.
1: Anyway, the point here is though. It, this relates to what you're saying. You can be aware of the quality with which energy is coming at you, and okay. in the Wheel of Awareness practice, what's so fascinating is it's a practice that simply goes like this. And let me start with a five-year-old and how he used it. Because Tina Bryson, my co-author, and I, we introduced the Wheel of Awareness in the Whole Brain Child, and you can learn how to teach it to your kids. So there was a teacher, Ms. Smith, who was a kindergarten teacher, and one day, a new child arrived, having been kicked out of his other school for beating up a child on the yard. So he came to the, her kindergarten class. He, like everybody else, learned the Wheel of Awareness. And then on the next day, Billy, let's call him, he came in to see Miss Smith at, during recess, and said, "Miss Smith, Miss Smith, you got to give me a break. I am on the yard, and Joey took my blocks. I'm about to hit him. I'm lost on my rim. I've got to get back to my hub.
0: Mm, beautiful.
1: So what he was able to do with just the wheel of awareness as an image, where she had taught him, like we do from the whole brain child book, we teach you basically to say to children, look, did you know your mind is like a wheel where... You can have this experience of being aware. We're going to put that in the middle of the wheel, which is the hub. And then all the things you can be aware of, you can send a spoke out to what you hear, what you see, what you feel in your body, you know, all that kind of stuff. And let's explore what's on your rim. So in this case, Billy, amazingly, was able to say, on my rim, I feel an impulse to hit. Mm. But because now I know I have a hub, I can pause and put a space between impulse, like to hit Joey, and action, the actual hit. And he chooses then from this pause, which also for whatever reason allows him to know the experience of being aware, he chooses a more pro-social option, which is to seek help from the teacher and not to hit the other boy. And months later, Ms. Smith wrote me that Billy was beautifully adapted to this new pro-social classroom environment.
0: It's amazing. I mean, it's such a testament to like when we teach children, we teach anyone at any age how to take care of our emotional <laughs> world, how to take care of the energies that come up in our body, how to take care of these you know, reactions that we have, then we can and do things with this knowledge. It's just that we have, to, we have to start to pay attention to that emotional world, the way we are reactive and, and start to practice and, and learn and, and deal with it. It's a, a beautiful testament to that.
1: Exactly. And so here you see we're integrating consciousness You know, basically allowing this young boy to just have a visual idea, you know, it's a map or a metaphor, a visual image of, hey, awareness is in your hub, what you're aware of is on your rim, take that idea, and as Oliver Wendell Holmes says, and I say this in the beginning of the Aware book, you know, a mind stretched to a new idea does not return to its original dimension. So Mm -hmm. Billy's original dimension was being on automatic pilot. When you distinguish the knowing of being aware in the hub from the knowns on the rim, you stop being on autopilot and instead of just automatically hitting Joey because he was frustrating him because he took his blocks, he could create that space between impulse and action and in that space could pause, choose a different route, enact a different action, Mm -hmm. and the whole outcome is different. So for a parent, then, you know, what is fascinating is that the Wheel of Awareness as a meditative practice on top of just the idea has proven to be really useful for people in their first-person reports, and it builds on the science based idea of integration is health consciousness needed for change and it also fortunately just by happenstance happens to have the three research proven pillars of mind training that have been shown to create more integration in the brain which means a more resilient life Uh, and it also creates five changes in the body you mentioned this when we started these molecules of well-being are improved And when you do this three-pillar training, the research shows when you develop focused attention, so strengthening the ability to focus attention and redirect when you get distracted. Number two, open awareness, which essentially is how you learn to rest in the hub and not get swept up on the rim, just like Billy beautifully did. That's the third. The second pillar is opening awareness. The third is developing what you can call kind intention or compassion and kindness. Kind attention training has also been shown to contribute to open awareness and focused attention in doing the following five things. It reduces stress, it optimizes immune function, improves cardiovascular functioning, reduces inflammation, and even maintains the ends of your chromosomes, your telomeres, by optimizing an enzyme called telomerase, so that ultimately the result of all this is it slows the aging process.
0: Cool. I'm excited for that.
1: (laughs) So this is what was so neat about uh, the Aware book is, you know, I wanted to call it the Wheel of Awareness and my publishers called me up and said, you know, you can't do that. No one knows what that is. It's too weird a term. So I was walking with my daughter, who's the illustrator for the book, and I said, oh my God, I don't know what to do. She goes, well, what do you want to call it? And I said, I have no idea. I always wanted to call it the Wheel of Awareness book. She said, how about just call it Aware? So I called up the publishers right right away. I said, what about this? They passed it by all their team and they said, thumbs up. So that's how the book got the name for my daughter. But it's really about being aware. So it's a great title, actually. It's more than just the wheel as a practice. Mm -hmm. It's really more about the practice as a way to integrate consciousness and create these five improvements in medical health This integrated brain allows you to have a more resilient life, You know, so you're more flexible and adaptive and feel a sense of equanimity. And what's fascinating about it is it opens a window, let's say for a parent, where when you start doing the Wheel of Awareness as a regular reflective practice, just like you might brush your teeth every day, you can brush your mind, if you will, every day with an integrative practice like the Wheel, you get all three of the research proven mind training pillars, You get all three of them in one practice. So that's cool. And you get this exploration of the mind that's absolutely fascinating. And in in the survey that it did with over 10,000 people, it's been really beautiful to hear people who take the microphone and share their experience, to hear what the Wheel of Awareness offers for them in terms of deepening how they not only know their mind, but how they stabilize their mind. And that's why in many ways it's so helpful for parents Because when you have the wheel of awareness as a regular practice, what before was annoying to you, as my mom says, it becomes amusing. And you develop this kind of openness to what is that you can call parental presence that my field, attachment research, has shown is the key to optimizing the chance of your child having a positive Uh life of well-being and resilience.
0: So I love that. Parental presence is the key to, to helping your, your child have peace and well resilience. That's so beautiful. But you mentioned, um, and it seems like, of course, like the one thing is we're sort of unspeaking here is that, that left to our own devices, right? The brain and not the, just the brain, the mind, the human being has a sort of a tendency to be on autopilot, to be sort of reactive, to be, you know, you talk about the, filters, right? We tend to kind of build these sort of shortcuts for how we perceive things. And so as we as we sort of build this practice of this muscle of awareness, we're we're getting all these incredible benefits. But you but you mentioned the idea of kind attention and you intention. And you know so that that can be developed in lots of different practices like in in your practice and also like a loving kindness practice can you tell us what's happening when we're doing a practice like a like a loving kindness practice we're using phrases to to kind of shift from that reactive autopilot mind into a mind that's focused on kindness towards oneself or others what's happening there
1: yeah well hunter that's really such an important Question for all of us to really consider, because you know, let's just start with some basic notions. You know that because we're, we're born into a body, the body has a certain evolutionary history, and that history means that certain traits that our ancestors had were really useful to survive, and those traits that weren't useful got our Non ancestors to be eaten. They didn't make babies and they didn't make us. So we come from a long line of survivors. That's basically what evolution is all about. So the first thing to say is that because of that history of these bodies we're born into, it means that there can be a tendency to look for the negative things in life, the things that can harm you, the things that will threaten your existence. And of course, when you're out on the, in the field and the forest. And there are animals that want to eat you for lunch. You know, it's really a good thing to be on guard and to be hearing, you know, a little crackling in the woods as a potential predator who's going to eat you. So that what's called negativity bias or, you know, threat sensitivity is very natural for us to have in the world. And the first thing to say then is we have inborn through our genes, ways that the brain develops with tendencies called propensities to, you know, be overly focused on the negative. Mm -hmm. So part of, you know, what developing kind intention is, is to say, I don't always have to be on automatic pilot from genetically what I've inherited. So that's one beginning of the, the story. A second thing is that it's not only what you inherit, but it's what you learn. And that's that notion you're raising, which is you have these filters of consciousness that are top-down, meaning they've been learned from the past, filters, things that constrain what you're going to become aware of or what gets activated inside of you. And some of those filters are socially constructed. And these days, for example, a lot of children and adolescents begin to feel inadequate. They feel like they're not as good as the social media pictures they see of other people, even though other people are curating them and only putting the positive things. And you see this increasing anxiety and depression and even suicide in youth that should be of concern to all of us, especially all of us who are educators or parents. And what I try to let kids and, and adolescents know is that actually those messages have the potential to really make us feel terrible about ourselves. They're learn messages that you are not good enough how many friends you have how many clicks you're getting all this kind of stuff so for that second reason there's some intentional effort we have to make to make it a kinder way of being in the world a way a, a place where you actually feel good about who you are because you're getting lots and lots and lots of messages that you're not good enough mm-hmm. that's a second thing the third thing i'll just say is this is that because the brain is called an anticipation machine. What that means is that, you know, we tend as we get past like probably around five or six years of age, we start learning so much about the world that we start to perceive things, to actually literally see things and hear things through a very constructed filtering process process so say, you know for it's actually really hard to see that dog what's that
0: say say that one more time dan we did have a little glitch in the audio
1: okay yeah so because the brain is an anticipation machine we learn so much by five or six or seven years of age that we start perceiving the world through a filter of what we've learned from the past so if we've learned what a dog is for example so if we know what a dog is and we walk down the street we actually don't really see with our eyes what's in front of us. We see a built model of a DOG. We even name it dog, and we don't see it. So Mm -hmm. because of this, this is now a third reason, anything that can help us be more, you know, what some people call mindful, other people might say more receptive, other people might call it more present, whatever you want to call it, let's just use the word presence it's actually an art form to have what you could simply call bottom-up experience or being present for life or beginner's mind or you know seeing with fresh eyes these are all meaning the same thing and so because of this tendency then as you go through adolescence you really filter things through this lens of prior experience and anticipation of what's going to happen next so Part of what developing focused attention, open awareness, and kind attention involve is combating these three challenges of being a human being Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that can get me really distracted. So I want to develop focused attention. And there's a lot in life that can make me not kind to myself or others. So I can intentionally cultivate a feeling of connection, where this is our eighth sense a feeling of love and care for my inner life. Let's just call that self, even though I don't really like that word. My inner self, let's just use that phrase. And my self would be my relationships with others and their inner selves. And I don't really like the word others, but we tend to use it. And I don't like those words because we're so deeply interconnected that I wish we had another way of using words to indicate that a person in a body that's different from the body you were born into is really a part of who you are. Mm -hmm. And you notice in that sentence, I never said the word other.
0: It's hard, it's hard to have that language. I mean, you're really getting into very deep philosophical things here. I mean, there's, I practice in a Sangha in a Buddhist tradition and there's a song that I always sang to my daughter from that tradition that part of the word, the language from the song is because I am in you and you are in me. And I always thought that must be so deeply, she loved that song so much. I thought it must be so deeply comforting that just that, that knowledge or that reassurance.
1: No, it's so important that reassurance. And in some cultures they'll say things just like that, or say things like you see me, therefore I am. Mm. And we don't want to lose our differentiated nature. So it's not like giving up a self but it's more like expanding what the self is really experienced as being. And it's exactly like you beautifully just said, we are each other. Now I I use the word MWE, M-W-E, so that you retain the me, because you do have a body, but you're also the we. And the way I like to think about this is an analogy of a candle, that if you're a candle, you are more than just the wax. If the wax is the body, your mind is living in that body, yes. But it's also the flame. It's also the light that you give off. And that's way beyond the wax.
0: Oh, I love that candle metaphor, Dan. That's awesome. I love that.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the way we need to start living in modern culture. And This is what kind intention basically cultivates. It says, okay, I've got a body. I did that in my second segment of the rim. Awesome. But now in my fourth segment, the relational sense, I'm realizing that we are the light together. When a candle gives off light, first of all, if it's sharing its flame with another candle, it takes nothing away from the flame on your own wick, right?
0: hmm Yeah. Only and
1: the light that you give off, you give off together. Nobody owns the light that's bouncing around the room from a set of candles. So that's the kind of world we need to create as parents, as educators, as people in society, a shift from what is this separate self, really preoccupation in modern culture that views life as you're just the candle, you're just the wax, you're just the wax. And then if you grow up that way, you feel this sense that something's wrong, something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but something's wrong. And you say, oh my God, I'm gonna die. I better get as many toys as possible or get as much money as possible. And all the studies show that you start feeling inadequate and miserable. So then you say, I gotta get more stuff, more toys, more things for this waxy body. I only get hundred years in the waxy body. And that's because I think we're living a lie. We're living a lie in contemporary times of a separate self. And as parents, you know, when we begin to realize that we're the first teachers of our children to let them know that they are the light beyond the wax alone, we're going to create a different life for our child that is more filled with meaning and connection and purpose. And as they get that healthy way of being we, you know, the candle would be both the me of the wax and the we of the light. So that's a mwe, M-W-E. Mm-hmm. The more we help our kids grow as a mwe, the more we're going to bring well-being into the world. And we're going to shift how people are running around this planet right now in contemporary culture with this incredible sense of, let's use the word, dis-ease. They don't feel at ease. It's dis-ease, and, of course, it leads to disease. Mm. And this lack of awareness that the lie of the separate self is killing us is just this hidden, it's a hidden idea, but it's embedded in our cultural way we speak to each other. That's why I'm so, like, for my next book, I'm, like, so driven to gather the insight from young people, from older people, from different traditions, How do we need to move human culture on this planet away from a lie that is so embedded in how we talk to each other, the words like self and other, that we often don't even realize we are perpetuating the lie by the words that we choose, even when we're trying to choose them well. So I'm like, I'm a nut about really thinking deeply about this so that as we raise kids in whatever setting, you know, we raise them as parents, we raise them as teachers, we raise them when these kids enter companies and organizations and we raise them as people who run media companies or social media platforms, you know, all these ways we shape our notion of the self. And I know this may not be what we thought we were going to talk about today, but the wheel of awareness And it really is how you started. The Wheel of Awareness lets you develop a healthier waxy body, which is awesome. It helps you develop more integrated brain in that waxy body, great. And it allows your mind to take more than just what Hunter Clark Fields is saying or Dan Siegel is saying, but actually in your own direct experience to feel, to sense, to realize our deeply interconnected nature as a Mui, that we are, in fact, the light beyond the wax alone. And when you start to live like that, I mean, it's a win-win-win situation because you will be healthier and happier, your children will be healthier and happier, and the world we all create is going to be a kinder, more compassionate place for all living beings to be in. And that is a shift that you may think, oh my God, how can I contribute to that? Start with the Wheel of Awareness yourself. Come to my website, do the wheel, read the aware book. You know, it may seem like, oh my God, this is too much to do, but actually it's not too much to do. It's the thing that we all need to do together because that's the world we can create, that our children are waiting for us to take responsibility, to recognize what the problem is and
0: to do something about it. Mm. Dan Siegel, thank you so much. I love the way you're thinking about everything in this incredibly deep way and this way that benefits all of us. And finding and and being part of the science and the research that backs all of this up, and the health of all of this, I really want to thank you for not only just coming on the Mindful Mama podcast again, but also for for the work that you're doing. It's it really makes a big difference to me and so many people around the world. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much. It's really great to be with you here, Hunter. And um, you know, I wish you all the best. And for everyone listening to us, I mean, this is something. That we can actually create. It's not just some ideas you heard on Hunter's podcast, but it's actually something that, in an interconnected way, if we all start doing this from the inside out like this, I think it's going to blow our minds wide open.
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening. I love this conversation. Tan Siegel's so amazing love, love, love all the ways to optimize kids' well-being and resilience. Yes, yes, yes. So cool. Like I said, these are all the things we work on in the Mindful Parenting course. If you would like to in the membership, it's a course inside a membership. So if you would like to learn more about becoming a lifetime member, joining the tribe, joining the community, getting the support you need to really Turn things around amazingly, going deeper. Then go to mindfulparentingcourse.com. Get on the wait list for the next time we open, learn more about it, and maybe then next time we'll be having this conversation in person talking about this stuff. How cool would that be? If you love this episode, share it around, of course, and I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your precious time with me. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you are part of this revolution that we're doing. We're transforming things. Everything matters. It does. So rock on you. I can't wait to be back in your ears next week. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste.